So as you can see, almost, next slide, there we go. The parsha, thank you, the parsha is Pekutei, which means accounts of, and it's, you get the context of it if you read uh, the Exodus 38:21 chapter. Actually, not that one, but uh, can we go back? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Exodus 21 will give you the context of it. Uh, Haftorah is 1 Kings 7, uh, and Burit Hadashah is Hebrews 8, 1 through 12. And uh, I would actually like to take the end of the uh, portion that was read, uh, Exodus uh, 40, verses uh, 34 and 35, so it's not actually the very end, a few verses from the end, and we'll talk about that. But before we do that, I want to ask you to do something for me. I would like you to close your eyes, and I'd like you to imagine a time in your life where you believe that you had either seen or experienced the glory of God. Just keep your eyes closed, picture it. I'm going to say a few things about, some of you might be imagining some, some amazing nature or scape, you know, like a sunrise, sunset, or mountains, or waters, scenery. And maybe it's how incredible people are made. And you're looking at something remarkable, and you're attributing whatever is remarkable to God, and that is because he's our creator, and so that's how you see the glory of God. Um, others might be thinking of a God incident, sometimes a, a God coincident, uh, where the circumstances just look terrible, and God just came in and did something miraculous. And it could be a supernatural healing to our body, it could be lots of things, and we see that as the glory of God. Others might think the glory of God is when we worship, and all of a sudden we sense God, God's presence in an incredible way in the sanctuary, and, and we just feel that, ah, this is the glory of God. And some of you say, I'm not sure, I don't think I've ever, I've ever experienced the glory of God. I'm not even sure what it is. Well, now you can look with me at Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, and get, we're going to try and get a sense of what God is talking about when he's referring to a glory of, the glory of God. It can be different in different contexts, but let's see here. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Adonai, the glory of the Lord, filled the ta tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud resided there, and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. So I can't even imagine what that was like, but God's glory filling the tabernacle in such a way that Moses and the priests could not enter because the glory of God filled it. Somehow they recognized that they couldn't go in because of the glory of God. That, to me, is amazing. And um, there was a, like a tangible presence. You know, 
This, I believe, was a visible manifestation of the presence of the invisible God. So no man has ever seen God, but he tells us in his word, and yet he manifests himself from time to time in visible ways in order to make certain points to people. One of the points he might make is of assurance, or he wants to tell us something. And so consider... um, that this is called, uh, theologians call this uh, theophany. And um, so let's consider what we know that might have led to this experience. What led to it? Not that we can recreate it because this is a God sovereign and he'll create it, but let's see if we can develop a pattern here. So there are two things that I see about this. Number one is that Moses and the people finished building the tabernacle. That's the first thing. They finished building the tabernacle. Secondly, they followed God's direction perfectly, as perfectly as they could, directly, exactly. Similarly, it happened in 1 Kings 8, And we'll look at that. Verse 10, now when the Kohanim, the priests, came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the house of Adonai so that the Kohanim could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of Adonai filled the house of Adonai. Then Solomon spoke. Adonai said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a magnificent house, a place for your dwelling forever. So again, what do we see here? They finished the work. The finished the work of the temple. So first it was the tabernacle, now it's the temple. And they followed God's instructions as best they could to make it exacting. And Adonai showed up and dwelled in a thick cloud. Now let's look at that same uh, circumstance in a different place in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 7.1. It says, Now when Solomon finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of Adonai filled the house. The Kohanim could not even enter into the house of Adonai because the glory of Adonai filled the house of Adonai. When all B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, saw the fire come down, so all of them saw this, and the glory of Adonai above the house, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, prostrating themselves and praising Adonai, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. That would be an interesting scene if you weren't able to enter into the sanctuary, and you were all outside on the sidewalk, lying down, face down, praying and worshiping God. That, that would definitely stop some cars, don't you think? Yes, yes. But you know, this happened a number of times, and, and I just want to share some other scriptures with you. Exodus twenty four sixteen just tells us that at Mount Sinai, 
there was a cloud. The glory of Adonai settled there for six days. And in Exodus 19.23, Moses said to Adonai, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you are the one who warned us, saying, set boundaries around the mountain and, and consecrate it. And then in Exodus 3.5, which is all about the burning bush, we see that God is saying, come no closer. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you are standing in holy ground. Interesting enough, these examples show us how the people of Israel kept God in awe. God's presence and glory seemed to keep distance between he and the people of Israel. There was a distance between, even when he, he came into their midst, there still was that distance. And through the tabernacle, God brings his holy presence right in the midst of his people. But they can't enter the midst of God's glory. It's hidden behind the, the, the curtain of the tabernacle. It's hidden in, in many ways. When we consider experiencing the glory of God, we might want to say, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could go back in time and be there during Exodus 40 and see the glory of God? Haggai has a prophetic understanding of the glory of God. After the temple seems to have become a, a place that was dry and not well attended, and, and when it was, it was strongly by rote. It just lacked the glory of God. It, it, and, and so Haggai writes in chapter 2, verse 6 through 9, For thus says Adonai Tzavaot, In just a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. The treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says Adonai Tzavaot. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. It's the declaration of Adonai Tzavaot, the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house will be greater than the former, says Adonai Tzavaot. In this place I will grant shalom. It is a declaration of Adonai Tzavaot. God promised that his glory will return to the temple. Um, and when I pray for revival, this is what I'm picturing, that the... the uh, that this time period will be greater than the historical, the latter time period. That's what I want to see. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've referred to the fact that, the, that we are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. So how should we understand the glory of God in the context of us being the temple? Let's take a little journey and see if we can understand a little of the background in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant. Because the glory of God is for now. It's not just for the first century or prior to that. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We looked upon His glory. The glory of the one and only 
from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I believe this is more of a prophetic verse talking about when Yeshua was older, even though it's in the beginning of John. And we see in John 1.18, one of the, a very interesting scripture. You might want to take it aside this week and just think about it. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only God in the Father's embrace has made him known. So, but the one and only God who is in God the Father's embrace has made him known. Think about that. This is to understand that you, the glory Yeshua receives is, 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 is part of our understanding of the glory of God. Matthew 3.16, Yeshua rose up out of the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Ruach Elohim, the, the, the Spirit of God, descending like a dove and coming upon him. This, I believe, is where the glory came upon Yeshua. And this, when we receive Yeshua into our life, this is when God's glory is to come upon us as the temple of the living God. This is where the journey begins. In John 16, 7, it says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And, and so we're seeing that the power of God's Spirit working in our lives has to be acknowledged. We have to acknowledge that understanding. If we don't acknowledge it, it's going to be hard for us to be the temple of the living God. It's going to be very, very difficult. Now, I know we often look at John 17. It's, it's, and, but for those of you who are not familiar with it, this is a time where Yeshua is praying to the Father. And the entire chapter is him praying to the Father. And so in verse 4 and 5, it says, I glorified you, meaning the Father, on earth by finishing the work. Okay, so there we are, finishing the work. In other words, this is the perfect work. It's finished, and, and, and I believe just within that is that you have the opportunity, you and I, to, to be that temple because Yeshua has finished the work that God, the Father, has given to him to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world came to be. Now, keep that in mind when we go to the scripture we're familiar with, which is John 17, 22 to 24. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. That's to you, to each one of you. 
that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me as you have uh, uh, loved them as you have loved me. Father, I also want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. My thought here is having the glory of God shining from our temple is seen by the unity that we have with others. I want you to think about this. God has promised that we are the temple and he's promised to give us the glory, but there seems to be some things that have to happen in order for this to come in its fullness, so to speak. And I believe that's the importance of unity. I've got to tell you, unity is one of the most difficult things to achieve. And the reason is because we all get hurt. And as soon as we get hurt, we separate. And we create barriers. And this has to be a, a, a something to us. We, got, we have to see this as, a, as, as something that we can't just ignore. That our ability to create unity, by the way, it has to be with people you disagree with. <laughs> because unity, when you agree with people, is conformity. Yes. That's not unity. Yeah. Unity is when you disagree and you can be one. Now, it's obviously not the unity of the Father and Yeshua because they agree. But in this world, here where we are living, we have to understand that there are very few people we're going to agree with. And the more we get to know them, the less we'll agree. It's just the way it is. Which is why husbands and wives fight. Because, because one gets hurt, and then that causes a separation. Because you generally fight with the people you're closest to. What I believe God is trying to tell us is those are the very ones we should be in unity with. Those are the very ones that we should go and be humble and think of ourselves less and think of others more and see what we can do to bridge the gap. Because you and I have a, have a ministry of reconciliation. That's what it says in Scripture. Now, Paul realizing the difficulty of of being a real believer, 
says in 2 Corinthians 4, actually he says this twice. He says it in verse 1, and then he repeats it in verse 16. Therefore, do not lose heart, or we do not lose heart. Though an outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. Okay, that's why we spend time with God. Because regardless of who hurts us and how they hurt us, when we spend time with God day by day, we are renewed. And the renewed person within us can be in unity with people who we disagree with. Now, here's another scripture to take home with you. Verse 17. For our trouble, light and momentary. Now, I didn't say that your troubles are light and momentary. God said that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. I'm not, being, I'm not saying I didn't think that your troubles were big and, and um, ominous. ominous. I, I, I just saying that this is what it says. It's describing that our trouble is light. And, it, and it, it's only for a moment. And it is producing. But even that little light problem, that trouble, guess what it's doing? It's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension, which means that if we can get over ourselves, then we are going to get this weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison as we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot, at, at, we look at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. But what cannot be seen is eternal. So our problem might not be the troubles that we are having, but rather not thinking about or believing or putting worth in the eternal weight of glory, which is far beyond all comparison. We are focused on our troubles and not focused on the glory that God wants us to have. Now, I can say, maybe I'm taking this a hair out of context because a lot of this glory is referring to later on. But that's okay, I believe. Paul understood the problem, as I said. He said, don't lose heart. Now, I think... For Paul to say that means something. Because if you read, well, first of all, I believe he was renewed in his inner man and blessed each and every day. But 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28 has a, a listing of some of the things he went through. The stripes, which are the whippings, the prisons, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, perils of waters, robbed, uh, perils of his own countrymen, uh, perils from the Gentiles, perils of the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils 
among false brethren in weary uh, he was tired all the time in his in his work he's, he didn't sleep often he was hungry and thirsty and fasted often and he was cold and he was naked and so he's tell, telling us not to lose heart and if you've seen any of the broadcasts from Ukraine, I, I mean, they seem to have more hope than we have. Romans 8, 17, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Our affliction is light compared to others who suffer. Our affliction is light compared to what we deserve. Our affliction is light compared to uh, what Yeshua suffered for us. Our affliction is light compared to the blessings and, uh, that we enjoy. Our affliction is light as we experience the sustaining power of God's grace. Our affliction is light when we see the glory that it leads to. Paul is not saying that trouble and afflictions automatically produce glory. <laughs> He's not saying that. It is possible to allow suffering to destroy us, to be an affliction, and it makes us bitter. It makes us miserable. It makes us argumentative. It makes us angry. It makes us all the things because we are allowing it. This is a head game. The power of the Spirit has to invade our head so that we, because two people who suffer the same way, one can be totally bitter and the other can be filled with joy. And we have to be those people filled with joy. Having the glory that God has placed in our temple is a result of loving him and loving our neighbor. Which is really the essence of unity. The glory of our temple, as many people think, certainly can be described as the wonder and beauty of God. It's a little different than what I'm looking at, but it can be described that way. Some people do. If someone else looks at our life, the question is, do they see the glory of God reflecting from us? Is that what they see? We can talk about God. We can tell them what Scripture says or what we believe, but do they see God within us? And do they see God within us when we're upset? At this time, if there's anybody who doesn't know Yeshua is Messiah, that is the beginning of what we need. And so I would ask whether you're here or online, Facebook, that you would just say the simple prayer that you're sorry for your sins, you receive Yeshua into your heart, and you dedicate your life to Him. Just something simple from your heart. But that simple type prayer 
will change your life forever. It will change your life forever. And so I believe that God is, is asking for people to make that commitment. If, you have, if you're here today and, and have made that a co commitment, feel free to, uh, to talk to us about it. If you're on Facebook Live, feel free to email us about it. We want to support you and bless you. Let me pray for you. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, we love you, we thank you, we praise you and bless you. And just ask, O oh Lord, that this word would go deep into our hearts so we truly would be the temple of the living God and we truly would have the glory in us that people would see and that they would be focusing on God after seeing us. Lord, we don't want them to focus on us. We don't want to focus on ourselves. We want you to receive all the glory. And if some of that comes back on us, then we'll just say, thank you, Lord. But we want you to receive the glory in people's eyes. So we bless you, thank you, and praise you in the name of Yeshua. Amen.